Welcome to Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano. And I'm B. Eggard. And throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health. Hello, and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. We thank you for joining us again. And if you're new, very welcome. I'm Kim Ozano, and I am here with Dr. Akinola Olaoli, who is my co-host for this series on participatory research. Akin, how are you today? I'm fine, Kim. Thank you very much. And I hope you're fine too. It's good to hear. I am well. I am well. Tell us a bit of your background again, please, Akin, for our new listeners. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I have a background in zoology and then epidemiology. And we're working with in NTD research for quite almost 15 years now. And recently, with the Countdown Project, I developed skills in social science methodologies, and which I've I begin to enjoy doing and working now with uh, more of uh, our system research, how we can use our system strengthening to control and eliminate NTDs. Thank you very much. NTDs, neglected tropical diseases. Thank you, Akin, very much. Um, so over this series, which is about participatory research, is using participatory methods to connect with citizens. And in episode one, we heard about a brand new toolkit that is now live, and you can find the link in the the below um, blurb in the first episode and in this one. And it's a whole toolkit of different methods that have been applied in different contexts that are participatory in nature and uh, build capacity of both citizens and scientists to challenge, to challenge um, global issues and address them. And in episode two and three, we heard about uh, social mapping and transect walks. In episode three, we heard about photo voice in Nigeria and Liberia. And today we are going over to Bangladesh to hear about GIS mapping. So my colleagues Wafa and Imran, welcome to the podcast. Um, Wafa, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Wafa. I'm currently working as an assistant coordinator at Bragg James P. Grant School of Public Health, Bragg University. I'm working in the ARISE project, and uh, I have experience in engaging with communities in various community-based participatory research methods. Uh, I worked on many projects, one of them uh, focusing on skills development of vulnerable populations, uh, for integration into the uh, like com- like normal society. Uh, I have a master's of public health from Bragg University and I have an undergraduate degree on the Bachelor's of Science from Monash. Uh, Kim, you asked me to say something which is not related to research or anything. So I just want to say I love pizza and I don't like cats. <laughs> It's okay. Good to know. Good to know. Perfect. Well, thanks very much, Wafa. And um, I think it's great that you've worked on community-based participatory research, or uh, as we term it, CBPR. Um, And once again, that kind of research paradigm is in the toolkit and descriptions of that are there as well for our listeners if they are interested. Um, Imran, tell us a bit about yourself and whether you like pizza and cats. Thank you, Kim. I'm Imran. I'm from Bangladesh. And I am now currently working in RS project and I'm 
now and also i'm working as a research associate in brack jones grant school of public health brack university i completed my masters from brack jones grant school of public health uh, public health and also i involved with the different participatory action research uh, like i conducted uh, js mapping uh, uh, participatory js mapping in bangladesh and also i am also involved with the capacity development of the youth uh, from the different slums and uh, now i am also involved with some uh, youth organizations in the in those slums and uh, i like to i like to play especially the cricket and footballs uh, and i i also don't like cat like copper so but i like dog <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um thanks very much Imran for for that description. I think what's really useful about today is in participatory research we often think it's all qualitative methods and I think today we're going to hear a bit more about how it's multidisciplinary and um not always kind of social science based but um can be both quantitative as well. So I look forward to hearing about that. But before we get carried away, I think let's hear a bit about your project so we can situate your method within your project. Who would like to take that? Uh I think I would like to answer that question. So um our project is called Arise, which is accountability for equity in informal settlements. It's a multi-country consortium that's led by Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine and the countries in this consortium are Bangladesh, India, Kenya and Sierra Leone. So in Arise we work together with communities particularly those people whose voices are often unheard with an aim to improve their accountability so that they realize their rights and they're able to promote or improve their own health and well-being needs. Uh in Bangladesh we are particularly working with residents living in urban informal settlements and uh we are working in three informal settlements or slums in dhaka these are also known as bostis in our local language so like i said we work with the most marginalized people in communities as our partners and some examples include extreme poor households women headed households people with disability and elderly people uh in arise throughout um every stage of our research we aim for co-production that is producing knowledge together with the community thank you thanks very much wafa and it really builds on our previous episodes and thank you for highlighting that it almost seems like you work with specific geographic communities but within those you have different communities people with disabilities for example women headed households so in episode 1 we talked about communities as that unit of identity and i can see here that you really move beyond the geographic sense of the word community and look at those marginalized voices which is great to hear um imran perhaps you could tell us um some of the key considerations of connecting with people and communities in your context yeah sure uh, as a researcher working in any research we are often outsider of the community and to better understand about any community and their health and well-being related issue challenges needs and priorities we need community participation and we need to think of the communities as a partner in our research other we otherwise we cannot understand about the what are the needs of the health and well beings of the community 
and another thing is the important thing is that in uh, we are working in different communities in communities there are some powerful people and uh, if we want to access in some uh, slums or in bosties we need to at, uh, at least some connection with these gatekeepers but uh, after connected with the gatekeeper when we get the access uh, to the community we should focus on the marginalized people if we don't uh, uh, know the voice of the marginalized people actually we can't identify the what actually is going on around the slums and we sh we should focus on those area in our research i think wafa can add something with me um okay so i think i'll specifically add on um our experience during the participatory gis mapping process and on our selection of community researchers or co-researchers so when we first started this project with the idea of um community co uh, community researchers or co-researchers we actually we went in with an aim to include the most marginalized people in the community as co-researchers and our rationale for that was that their voices are not heard of so uh, including them as co-researcher it would mean that they have a platform to share their voice but what what really happened in the field was that when we realized that it was often not possible to include the most marginalized people as co-researchers. Like Imran mentioned, there's a lot of internal um, power dynamics that exist in the slum. And while including the most marginalized as co-researchers would serve the purpose of our research, it would also put um, the community people that we are engaging with at risk in their own communities. So these, uh, these two things were something that we pr primarily had to consider when choosing our co-researchers. Uh, and like, you know, we couldn't select someone who was way too powerful because that would negate the aim of having the marginalized voices heard. So we had to come to a middle ground. Then with the COVID pandemic, we knew that we were going remote. So we had to factor in some level of knowledge regarding technology, some level of access to technology and apps. So at the end, we selected youth from the three sites. And some of the key things that we considered were the internal power dynamics, the safeguarding of our communities, how well the co-researchers were able to receive and contribute to the research, and the level of technology that was needed for the work that we were doing. So our co-researchers, they were youth, they were not too powerful, and at the end, they could give us or they could represent the voice of the marginalized communities. Thank you very much. I mean, it really shows the complexity of this type of research and the factors that have to be considered when we as researchers want to connect with communities. And what we've not had brought up yet is the safeguarding of co-researchers and people we work with and responsibility to ensure that, um, you know, communities and participants in our research are, are safe. And the role of gatekeepers, this has been mentioned over and over, and I think is an emerging um, theme within our podcast, that the consideration of the power of gatekeepers to either promote or silence marginalized voices is really, really important to consider. 
and you've situated yourself as outsiders, which is also useful to understand your own positionality and where you are within your research. So thank you. That's really helped me to understand the context, Akin. Um, Akin, I will hand over to you so we can hear more about the methods and the ins and outs of the GIS mapping. Thank you very much, Kim. So um, let me start with me, with you, um, Imran. Can you tell us more about the method you're talking about today? What, are, what does it involve? What are the key steps? And how do people in the community participate in this approach? Uh Actually, I'm going to talking about the participatory GIS mapping, what we did in Bangladesh in last few months. So at first, uh, before the COVID-19, we had a plan to go to the field and did the GIS mapping in a traditional way. But as COVID pandemic uh, hit, we uh, shifted into the remote method, all of our research activity. So we also shifted our GIS mapping to the remote method GIS map. But when we wanted to do the GIS map by uh, searching different secondary sources of the GIS data, uh, but we couldn't find that uh, much good data. And if we found some data that was so, uh, so old data, so we couldn't use those data to uh, draw our map of the three sites. And we also contacted with the local authorities like uh, Dhaka South City Corporation and North City Corporation for the for their map uh, but we just uh, uh, able to uh, collect the map from the north city corporations and we only able to finalize the map of the kollanpur which is located in the dhaka north city corporations by remote methodology but uh, in south city corporation we couldn't able to find those maps and we couldn't able to do the gs uh, remote method in those cases so during that time, uh, we thought that we should uh, engage the community people. Actually, community people can help us to do the JS map, uh, remote method map on, on those south side. So during our phone interview in the first phase of the COVID-19, we found some very energetic youth from the uh, one of the Dhalpur slum. It was really interesting and I contacted with him and he he told me that he is really excited to work with me. And uh, then uh, he sent me some hand drawing map of their community. And uh, I uh, actually, we used this map to draw a uh, outline of this area. Then we also uh, identified some of the other structures like healthcare facilities, then other uh, services like school, educational facilities, and also the water uh, services, everything. And we validated with the community people. So this was the first thing uh, how we involved with the community. But after successfully did this method in during uh, uh, one slum, in one slum, then we moved to the in larger things, like we involved six co-researchers from the, our three sites, one male and one female, to maintain the gender dynamics of the Islam. And we uh, trained them in uh, how to collect the JS data from the field. And as they are in the community people, so they are living in their community, so they easily send us the data. And we now draw the three map of the three study sites and 
this is the way actually we connected with the community and we completed our three maps. Wow, that's interesting. So uh, the, the necessity of COVID restriction has resulted in empowering some energetic youths in the community to do mapping. Wonderful. That, that's quite interesting. Uh, good. So what, can you tell me, why did you actually choose this method? Yeah, uh, we actually, we choose the, it, it was uh, evolving things. Like we didn't have any plan to do that uh, this way because we, we trained in the, like Kim also trained with us in the uh, traditional way of GIS mapping. So we wanted to go to the field uh, uh, in uh, our field and we wanted to collect the coordinates by ourselves. But uh, when we see that there was uh, no possibility to go to the field, so we uh, we uh, connected with the, some community people and we did that. It's totally a, a raw methodology and uh, when we need something, we face some problem, then we tried to solve it. We did some brainstorming and we found that was a, that was a solution so we we did that so this this was a really interesting thing that uh, just we we talked about how we could um, uh, complete this map of the south city corporation because we didn't have any map so that time some one of our colleagues said oh we had a energetic youth in one slum so we uh, we could contact with him we uh, we could uh, in uh, we could connect it with him in, in different uh, social media so by this way actually it's totally in a totally surprised way it came to us it's not a predefined method wow do you want to say anything to that wafa anything to add i don't have much to add but so this was a very innovative method for us as well. Like through the process, we're not just the co-researchers who learned, but we learned how to better engage with communities, how to work with them, how to design trainings. Like, you know, GIS is complex. Like the training that we receive, it was complex for us to understand. So we were, at first we were worried, like, how are we going to train people who are living in these communities? We can't even go to the community at that time because there was a countrywide lockdown. So we, anything that we had to do, we had to do it online. We were not sure how we could connect with them, how the connectivity would be. And at the end of the day, like, you know, like Imran said, we had a problem, we had an internal brainstorming, we solved the problem, and that that is how we proceeded. So even with the training, like at first we had uh, training designed, then we had to simplify the training to meet the needs of the community. So it was a very important process for us. Number one, because it was the first thing that we did in part, like that goes to participatory research it helped us in our next uh, methods as well wow interesting to know very interesting so what i'm hearing now is that the this common saying that necessity is a model of invention or innovation has actually come to play here the necessity to collect data you have to make use of the available that's very interesting so did you did you achieve your aim, your result? Yeah, uh, I would like to say that we did. So our intention was to bring out different dimensions of the communities through a map.
And now today we have three maps of our three locations that, and it, it can sh- like it shows us the location of different landmarks, different services that are available in these settlements. Uh, another thing that we wanted to do when we first engaged with co-researchers was we wanted to build their capacity and their skill so that they can utilize these maps, they can utilize these processes whenever they need. So I would really confidently say that that is something we achieved. We're still working with those co-researchers. So just last week, uh, we had uh, this training session where we asked them to come. And they asked us to send coordinates through uh, to them. And they found the location they came by themselves. So, you know, like at the end, like now they can use Google Maps. Like they can have, we send the location on WhatsApp. They came to the location. So that, that was a very big achievement. And lastly, um, just as organically as this process went, it helped us build very strong relationships with the community. It helped us learn in depth and in great details about many issues in the community. So, yeah, we have achieved a lot through this process. Well, you've actually practically answered some of my next question, which I would like to ask, what are the evidence of data of you achieving, and you've just mentioned that you, you actually were able to get three different maps that you were interested in, and you end up also having to learn how to actually interact with some community members. And this is interesting to see how they are able to also use the Google map to be able to lo- get your coordinates and using that to be able to locate where you are to attend their training. Wonderful. So can you tell me, Imran, were there any challenges you faced in making use of this approach? What are the challenges you face? Yeah, uh, actually, during the procedures, we faced uh, different challenges. Like our co-researchers are also involved with different activities, like they need to earn their livelihood also. So it was a really problem for us to manage the time for the co-researcher because they are not available always. Uh, that was one problem. And another one problem is that uh, the training of the GIS software, it was a little bit complex, as Offa said before. So what we did, we need to change the training methods in uh, repeatedly. When we need something to change, to, uh, we need to make it user-friendly and we need to talk with them. What you didn't understood, please tell me. And we always connected with him for these things. Like uh, they they could call me at night also say, I, I had a problem with this, please solve this issue. And I tried to solve this issue uh, during that time. And another problem is that the uh, 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 our co researchers are very young people. So uh, they when they went for uh, uh, going for the work in the community, so the elder member of the community and the, some powerful member of the community said, "What actually? What you are doing? Uh, you are you are clicking the picture of our our area, or like uh, in a medicine shop, they try to uh, they need to take a picture of the medicine shop, and then medicine shop owner asks, why you." Um, um, click the picture of my medicine shop, then they need to actually explain what actually they are doing, what are the project, uh, and even sometimes they also need to contact with me and I need to uh, tell the whole procedures to the medicine shop owner that this is the just only for a research purpose we collected the data. We 
I don't want to use is in any other way. And another thing, another problem is that we didn't have any plan uh, before the, uh, the participatory mapping because it was new for us. Uh, so that's why we we need to adapt uh, different um, steps, different methods in different stages. So I think that was uh, some problems uh, from my side. Wow, I can imagine that. Uh, when you need to get an emergency, emergency co-researchers to work with you because there were no plans to be part of the co-researcher. So, like, talking about the challenge, I, for GIS, I know you have to take GPS location. So, can you tell me how were you able to handle that with the emergent co-researchers? More so that there was COVID. How do you, did they have a tool they used or what adaptation were you able to do for them to take the coordinates? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, uh, during the uh, procedure, uh, uh, there there was no uh, that much uh, not uh, lockdown during that time because lockdown is uh, not that much strict and co researcher can actually move in there inside the slums that time. And also, we ensured the protection of the co researcher. We always told them, uh, please uh, use the mask. And also use the hand uh, sanitizer when you are going to the work. And um, uh, co-researcher uh, actually moved inside their slums. So when we asked them to do that, uh, they are really uh, eagerly uh, wanted to work with us. And just a few days ago, I can share experience. They said that uh, previously we know the using of the uh, online just only social media they they just only know the use of the social media but they don't know that the internet and mobile device can do something great for their community also so actually that's the, the things uh, are we achieved by this way i think offer if you want to add something you can add yeah thank you very much Imran. yeah that's exciting to know I was I was wondering, yeah. But let me, uh, this last question, let it go to Wama, Wafa. Can you, which I think we have started talking about, was there any ethical or moral aspect that you had to look at in adapting to engage these people or what they need to do for you? Yeah, um, definitely uh, we had faced a few. So um, one of them was, like we said, we started this work when COVID was also there. So there were lockdowns from time to time. People in the urban informal settlements, they couldn't go out to work. They lost their jobs. So they were always in need of support, be it financial support, be it in-kind transfers or food support. And there were a lot of organizations who were working with the government, and then there were NGOs who were providing this support in the slum settlements. So the process was that they would go from house to house. They would collect the data, like household data. And then maybe like a few days later, they would come in and give them some food, some um, what hand wash, hand sanitizer, some cash. So our co-researchers were also collecting these GIS coordinates around the same time. So when co-researchers went from house to house, there was an expectation from the community, from these co-researchers as well, communities, sometimes 
some households thought that the co-researchers are visiting for information. Two days later, they would come and give us some food. So this was an ethical dilemma for the co-researchers and also for us. Then um, as researchers, we have our own limitations. So when we first engaged with co-researchers, we told them that we would give them, uh, we would help in their capacity building. But it's often difficult to make them understand that we are talking about building their capacity in research. So when we, during one of our training sessions, when we asked them, like, what are your expectations from us, like, in this capacity building sessions, they would tell us, like, a range of different things. Uh, one of the example being, I think one of the co-researchers said, if you could support us to learn driving, that would ensure I have a job in future. So this is something we as researchers cannot provide. Similarly, co-researchers had many expectations from us. As our relationships became stronger, they, you know, they could approach us for a lot of problems that they face in their research. So there were times when they approached us for some of their personal problems, like some of them wanting to get a job, they, were, they would come to us and be like, uh, Appa, can you help us with this job? Can you help us? Rec can you recommend us for this job? Can you find us a job? So these were some of the things that, you know, put researchers in an ethical dilemma. Like we, we say we are supporting them. We say we're building their capacity, but oftentimes we're not being able to meet their expectations. I see it's a major issue in research, meeting expectations of, of either co-researchers or the beneficiaries of the research. Interesting. I think at this junction, I, I really enjoyed the discussion with you. At this junction, I would like to hand over back to Kim, who will take you further in another question. Thank you very much. Over to you, Kim. Thanks, Akin. Um, well, for Imran, I feel like I've learned so much already just from listening to you about the mapping. I just want to kind of, I was thinking in, 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 in my mind that informal settlements, you know, there's no Google Maps, is there? There's, there informal settlements are, are areas that are not so structured. Is that true? Yeah, most of the cases, it is very difficult to find the exact boundary of the informal settlement because it is... Uh, um, uh, um, uh, rapidly evicted sometimes and also some new houses is rapidly building there so it is very difficult to find the boundaries of this area and how did the co-researchers feel about having a map of their area that didn't exist previously uh, uh the thing is that uh today i also visited in one slum uh so when i show them the map in my laptop and they saw they said wow it's in our slums we we couldn't see this way before our slums that our slums is so many things and in a in a picture there are the health all healthcare facilities we are watching there and everything and also one of them interestingly asked me that uh, the people of this area said, I am searching in Google to find out the area of our slum, but I haven't found it. What you actually did during during the your exercise. So we want this map in our Google. So we just search it and we will find it in the Google. So that was a great experience and they are really excited to see this uh, map in this way. So if we can uh, 
uh, uh, use them uh, if we can paint the map and give it to them and so community people also can use this map in different it sounds wonderful and the capacity and the confidence that's been um you know built with co-researchers is really quite immense and young people moving on to jobs and, and you supporting them is is very admirable um just for my own understanding the audience so the maps are a kind of a map uh did you you mentioned photographs before is there also narratives behind the maps or is it maybe you could tell us a bit more yeah, uh, in uh, one, ma uh, we also collected some narratives uh, of some specific things like the there. We also selected some areas like evic eviction porn area and water lodging area and also the, uh, the unsafe zone in the slum area. So uh, we also collected some narratives beside this. Why these zones are unsafe? Can you please tell me? So uh in the map if we uh, we are actually working on it now we haven't finished it so if we put the narratives in those areas so people can see actually this is the unsafe area and that is the reason for the unsafeness and also the uh, others uh, eviction porn area so we also can uh, add the narrative there and uh, we are working on it i think uh, it would be very helpful for the community people so no great details about their community if we add the narrative in the map. Thank you. Thank you. Wafa, anything to add there? Uh, I just want to add that uh, along with narrative, like we also have photos of the different locations. Like say there's the name of a health center or a pharmacy. We have a photo of how it looks. And um, like Imran said, eviction prone or areas that are prone to water logging. We have photos of how it looked when during say monsoon weather when there was water logging so that also like it's an interactive map for so communities can also like click on one of those landmarks and they can see how it looks what the reasons are for that area being mentioned as safe unsafe eviction prone flood prone so that's useful and it will also be useful for and this also came from our co-researchers that often they have NGOs, they have service providers who come in so they can use this map, they can show this map to them and this would help them identify areas where there perhaps is a lack of service. So we have identified from our mapping that there are areas where there are many health providers and say one pocket which has none. So this map can help uh, communities visualize their community at one go and negotiate with any new NGOs or service providers who come in and convince them to build a health clinic or a pharmacy in that specific area where there isn't one. It really is incredible. And the resource goes so much more than just a collection of data for use in research. You know, it's it's a, a practical, interactive, capacity strengthening exercises and, and really is admirable. So thank you for that. Um, I think I think you've highlighted the importance of building relationships with co-researchers and that it's not easy, but very rewarding and, and fruitful for both sides of the argument as well. And, and I think it's important to, that you highlighted how much you learned from the process and not to be scared of innovation. You know, you re responded in COVID, 
you developed a new method and you know for our audience it's really exciting that you've also published that experience for others to use and adapt in their own context within the participatory health research toolkit that Sharina Motto produced. So it's just wonderful um, that you shared that with us and I do encourage our audience to access it there. Um, will you be sharing a link where maybe we could see the map or is that not ready yet? Yeah, we have uh, a initial map. So I think we can show it. Uh, now, if you want to show it, I can show it. Well, we can add those links in the blog. And I know that you've done some blogs as well with the co-researchers. So we'll put those links in the blurb as well um, for, for our listeners, which is fantastic. Right. We're on to our final two questions, which are very quick answer questions. Um, and they are much more general. So moving away from your, your method and, and kind of not your context, the context is still important. But um, what advice would you give to people thinking about using this method? We'll start with uh, Wafa. Okay. So um, firstly, one of the things that we want like others to follow would be, you know, you should have a clear guidance on what method you want to do and what process you want to use. But at the same time, um, you need to be flexible because with us, what happened was we had to change it multiple times and that gave us the best result. So you have to be flexible. You have to be receptive to community feedback. This is something for the community. So their feedback is one of the most important things to consider and take into account. Uh, secondly, I would say for any for any participatory uh, action research and methods, uh, the selection of co-researcher is important. So for us, when we knew that, okay, we would do participatory GIS mapping, we, we had to select someone who had access to phones. That was one. But we also needed these people, the same people, to know about their community. So that was also something we did not compromise with. And then um, I think the training bit was mentioned before, like you have to simplify your training uh, based and customize it based on the needs of uh, co-researchers. Uh, lastly, um, having co-researchers is a very um, unique support for your research. and we have co-researchers across our three sites. So it what helped was having a cross-learning kind of platform. So we did this through reflexivity sessions with co-researchers where we brought in all of our co-researchers in one uh, Google Meet room or one Zoom room where they could discuss what they learned, how they worked, what challenges they faced. And this was an opportunity for them also to learn from each other and for us as researchers to also learn from them. Fantastic. Thank you. I think that's really um, detailed and some good advice there. Um, so Imran, we're going to move on to our final question and it will be to both of you, but we'll start with you, Imran. What more can we as researchers do more generally to connect with citizens um, and to engage them in our scientific approaches? Yeah, uh, at first, uh, I think what we need to do, we need to see, uh, look the problem of the community in the lens of the community people. It is very important. Researchers should acknowledge this. And uh, building tasks and working relationship with the communities and co-researchers, it is very important for health research if we want to go to the community 
we need to and want to work with the community we need to building trust with them and we should uh, regularly communicate with them we need to uh, hear them what they said what their priority so that's the thing uh, it's uh, really helpful and uh, that's from my side thank you some excellent points there um wafa same question uh so another thing that is very important to connect with people and communities is having um entry points in your uh, in your study sites so for us we like we engaged initially with community based organizations with community development organizations in the communities and these groups or these bodies they later supported us and helped us connect with others in the community they acted as entry points and they you know they are they're like our core researchers they are also a very important asset for us because now whenever we go to field whenever we have anything any issues in the field we can contact with them like we can call them up and be like yeah so they know us through all of our work and they are always always like supporting us with the work that's wonderful. It sounds like you've built such strong relationships and that's a credit to you both as well. Well, thank you so much, Wafa and Imran. And uh, to our listeners, please do check out the blurb below in the links, which will give you a little bit more detail on the projects and the method. Anything to say before leaving Wafa or Imran? Uh, I want to say that it was lovely talking to you, Kim and Akin. Thank you so much for having us in your show. And I I also want to thank you Kim and Akin for the for this show and we shared our experience I think people enjoy enjoy it and uh, we will do more in future thank you thank you very much um and Thank you for joining us for our first series of the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. Um, the next series is going to be coming in uh, just over a month's time and we'll have a new focus. So thank you for listening in and uh, stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you very much. Bye.